Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Canute, I fired you and you're still here. What, you can't, gotta, I can't, you this gotta, show won't end. You got to stop firing me and then rehiring me two seconds later. Lucky you're still here and didn't follow orders as you Yeah, know. I know. We yeah. have, it's an interesting one. This is t- Alex Bard, my good friend at Red Point, and then Thomas Tungaz, who I like better but have not met. So I'm a big fan of Tom. Not mm-hmm. a big fan of Alex, even though we're good buddies because he's not that interesting. <laughs> but Tom, I know nothing about. He's got a great name, best blog for just, it's a very simple thinker's investor blog, Tom Tungaz, easy to follow, free. Um, and literally have never, I mean, I feel like I know these people because uh, Tom, I just read and Red Point, he's made fucking incredible uh, uh, enterprise investors. We had Billy on last week, right? And Billy, yeah. if you go back and listen to Billy, it's just so much wisdom, right? From Salesforce and now at Two Sigma and before that at August, and it was a GitLab investment and yada, yada, yada. And things that people never heard of. Mm-hmm. But I could listen to that shit over and over because he had fucking dropped like some incredible wisdom. You're going to get some ideas from this episode. Very simple ideas. Alex is a kind of a swashbuckling. Uh, entrepreneur. He was my partner's partner at uh, Assisley before they got bought by Salesforce. They got bought by Salesforce. Now mm-hmm. he's a, he was a campaign monitor working in Sydney, running that company, a couple, 250 million private equity investment, uh, competitor to MailChimp. Um, and now he's at Redpoint. And Tomas, um, hope I'm pronouncing it right, is his partner at Redpoint. There's a few other partners, obviously. It's a big firm, probably a couple billion. And a very, very good investors and like all VC firms up and down, but this new batch of uh, partners that they have because the brand has lived for a long time. Red point is an old Silicon Valley brand and uh, they're kicking serious ass. So uh, we're going a little bit in the weeds on VC with this and some fun stories that Alex obviously knows me pretty well. Um, And not scared. This guy, Alex is not scared. He just writes checks and like has conviction. <clears throat> Something that I, at size, I'm not as good as Alex. So he understands risk and volatility better than most. And um, so let's go. Uh, for them, because they're investor in Hims, fuck their brand. We have, Hims is like uh, a Viagra, like online. Uh-huh. And hair growth. And now we- The problem is I take their Hims product and rub it on my who now- and so then I have to manscape more. So it helps my company. You understand what the I do there? The information you're giving me is invaluable. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Adderall, for that spurt of <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> I give all my rants uh, sponsored by Adderall. They should pay. They should pay this. They really should. You can tell when I've actually taken five milligrams. Yeah. Can you tell? No. Because five is such a small amount such a perfect amount when I have to do two podcasts in a day versus all my work on top of it. And so I just took five, which is like a double espresso maybe, but uh-huh. like not the highs and lows. It's just whoop. Nice. And, uh, Never tried it. Okay. Well, you have tried. I put it in your sushi today. Oh, thank you. The, uh, this episode will be brought to you by Koifin. I shared this deal with Tomas, who uses the product, but they didn't think it was uh, for them. 
So not insulted, but I can't wait to rub it in their face. Because I know they use the product, both of them. And uh, it's one of our portfolio companies. And and what I love about VCs are using it too now. If you want to track and analyze what's happening in the current market, Coifin is for you. It's a web-based platform. Lets you analyze, and you can appify it, by the way. People just go to the coifin.com, say, quit whining, and just look at the button that says how to appify the app. Let's you analyze stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, and other assets all in one place. I use it every day. It's open right now. Um, Coifin has a ton of high-quality data, powerful functionality, and clean interface. The best part is it's free. You can sign up at coifin.com, K-O-Y-F-I-N.com. Let's get uh, Tomas. Did he say on the phone first? Yes. Hello? Tomas. Hi, Howard. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm calling you uh, from Phoenix. You are in San Fran? Yes. Okay, so we're going to get Alex on the phone. Hey! Hello, Lindzen. Lindzen! I told you to swear before, and you just said my name, which is the equivalent of swearing to you. I said it quietly. So In my uh, mind. In your mind. So I, I was giving a preamble to this show, as I do for Panic with Friends, so I'm really grateful you guys take the time we're kind of experimenting having the three of you in different locations three of us are in different locations um so it's a little harder in a podcast so like to get inflections so i'll try and just ask bigger questions and let you guys lean in um i gave a little background on uh, both of you but um since tomas is more publicly social at least to like me is because alex i can call you but i've never met tomas I've only emailed him a couple times. So I'm a big fan, <clears throat> Tomas. So I really uh, am excited to talk to you. I got a million questions. You're yeah, mutual. Well, you have to say that. So your career was uh, at Google first, right out of school or, or, or no? No, I went to a startup. I started a company when I was 17 with my dad. And mm-hmm. then after college, I went to a startup called Appian. That does BPM, now Huge. public company. Yeah. Wait a minute. What does Appian do? It's a BPM business process management. It's kind of the predecessor to RPA. Yeah, that's already over my head. That may put me to sleep. Hang on a sec. Can you give me an Adderall? <laughs> just double me up. Slap you with you. Double me up. He just said something with like syllables. Okay, first of all, guys, don't use syllables and stuff. That just immediately kills our audience. It's a stock twits and we need big, small words. So you're a geek in summary. And uh, so you started this company with your dad. Is he a geek? He's a geek. And is he still in San Francisco? He's still alive, I hope. He's still alive. He's in New York. Okay. Yeah, he used to be a trader on Wall Street. Wow. So you've got the double, you have the geek and the Wall Street. So that's why you kind of like Coifin when I sent it to you. Oh, I love Coifin. Use it every day. In fact, I created a dashboard that I sent to Alex. We check in every morning. He was slow our- to uptake, right? Like the dashboard's amazing. This fucking Dashboard's product. amazing. It's so powerful. It's so good. Like in the, in an era where like people now have lost their Bloomberg's or like they're all on Twitter, I hear everybody, what do I use? And everybody's throwing around Coifin organically. What was, should we change the name to? Like Rob's listening and I hate the name. What do you think? <laughs> it's a little tough. Okay. Uh, we may just call it Tomas because your name well, is so if you, cool. If you, if you flip the Y and the F, you end up on some Chinese site, which I've done more than once. Oh, hilarious. And Y and the yep. N. So con, what, what, what do you call it? So if you if you spell it K O F Y I N, it redirects to some Chinese site. Oh, hopefully porn. Can you check that out? <laughs> yeah. I'll pull it up. Yeah, right that would. Uh, all right. So, so how did you two connect? How did Rep Gary Alex? How did you end up at Rep Point? Because Thomas was already there. 
Oh, he's been there a long time. He he definitely uh, predates me, and he's a big part of the reason that I joined. But okay, got Lindsay, you would know this part of the story because you were an investor in a last company that I co-founded. What was it called? called I forgot. Assistly. Oh, you forgot the name. Okay. I never liked that yeah. name either. You may not have liked it, but I'm sure you liked the return you got. <laughs> Love the IRR. That's my tagline. We may not like <laughs> exactly. the name. We're all about the IRR. So the good news is it at least said what it did. Assist Lee. I mean, it's not like koi fin. I don't know. Was that a fish? I know. Anyway, I get so much grief a- from people. Hey, Howard, love Koi Fan. Glad it's free. Change the name. I'm like, that's such a topical email for, I guess, they just a backhanded <laughs> compliment, right? Like, love everything about it. Change the name. And uh, so so quickly, Alex and I go way back. I, I met Alex Knute, my VC, our VCs at StockTwits, Tony Conrad. Mm-hmm. knew I was moving to San Diego's call Alex and Gary. We're looking at their company, yada, yada, uh, customer support. And I'd love customer support, tweet deck, buddy media, yada, yada, user voice. And I meet Alex and Gary and like immediately we kind of hit it off. Did we not like over eToro or some cool. random thing? And we invested right away. They did. Lindsay, I got I give you credit for speed and, and vision. So anyway, so, so, so you met Tomas when, well, so you guys invested. Yep. We launched Assistly. Things mm-hmm. started to go great. We mm-hmm. decided to go to market to raise our Series B, and this would have been um, sometime. 14? I guess in, in well, no, no, this 13? would have been no, 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 no. This would have been in 2011. So uh-huh. we went out to raise our Series B in 2011. Uh-huh. Met a handful of, of different firms and met Tomash at, at and Satish at Redpoint at the time. Satish, just, right? He's a legend. Remember okay. exactly yeah, yeah. and. Yeah. Both former operators. You heard a little bit of Tamasha's story. It's actually much more impressive had you given him more time. I will. He deserves. I will. I will. <laughs> Met them and and absolutely had you know great chemistry with them. Fell in love with them. Loved their operating background and experience. Wanted to work with Redpoint for our Series B. Let our existing investors know that this is the path that we were going to take. And if you recall, at the time Salesforce was already on the cap table, and they gave us a call. I went to Mark's house and the. Result of that was that we oh, did not I didn't want know you to went to Mark's house back then. Yeah, I did. The VCs were kind of against that. We were like always just pro entrepreneur. The VCs kind of don't like that at the beginning because they just know that's a chance where you're going to end up getting taken out early. Well, in this case, it seemed to play out that way, didn't it? Yeah. But well, um, screw them. They're just VCs. <laughs> wait a minute. VCs <laughs> oh, are wait, people too. VC and by the now. way, that, well, don't forget. VCs, former operators. I think that that adds I think it's a lot so important. I think it's so important, and it is important. Yeah, I think it's so important that it gets thrown around. But I don't think I could do what I do without being a bad operator. You're a good operator. You and you, and you had a great team. I'm a terrible operator, so it's weird. I, I can appreciate good <laughs> entrepreneurs. No, because I know what I'm good at. Like I'm not going to. Well, Howard, you can advise people what not to do, and and there in that's my blog. Dude. A lot of value. You should read it once in a while. You just do the opposite <laughs> of my blog. The um, so Redpoint today is how big? Well, by what measure? Dollars to like the last fund, maybe not the, forgetting that you may be currently raising. What was the last fund? Three hundred. Uh, no, we have historically raised four hundred million dollar funds. Amazing. And so it's Usati. It's how many people? How many general partners? Well, if you recall, the structure of Redpoint is that we have an early stage fund, which is a four hundred million dollar vehicle, and we're investing out of our seventh early stage fund wow. today. Mm-hmm. And we have an early growth fund, which is also a four hundred million dollar vehicle, and we're in, which is called Omega, and we're investing out of our third vintage today. So. Mm-hmm. 
in totality, the Redpoint team is both the early stage and the early growth team. And um, but the brand's been around thirty years, twenty years. Twenty years. We recently celebrated our twenty-year anniversary, but have also gone through a generational transition, which is amazing because it was hugely supported. Uh, by the founders of Redpoint, who have been absolutely amazing and, and incredibly Because that's uh, rare. Helpful. Like, because Redpoint had a name a long time ago, too, and now it's transitioned to new new faces and new voices. Well, I think that has a lot to do with the founders and sort of what their first principles and values were. And when they came together to form Redpoint, they knew that there would be at some point that they wanted to hand the keys over, so to speak, to the next generation to take the brand forward and that they wanted to be, you know, very supportive of that and create an environment where that transition would work well. And so uh, I am a huge beneficiary of uh, their vision and their support. And you came out firing writing checks when you started. You're just cash cannon. It turns out. (laughs) Dude. I mean, Alex has like, Alex has like, he's a bazooka. Because Tomas feels like, you know, he knows what he wants to do, but he's going to be more like Alex Lemon, but a bigger check size. So is, was Hems your first big check, Alex? And what was the, your first big check as a VC? The first big check was AppZen. AppZen. Okay. And is it still around? Oh, my God. The company is doing Phew. incredibly well. I feel okay. very fortunate to be part of that. <laughs> okay, great. I don't want to fucking <laughs> they've lead you they've off since a cliff. Gone on and, yeah, they've since gone on and have raised from Lightspeed and Co2. I, I'm really excited to be part of that company. And then the second one was Hims. Fucking Hims blows my mind. Because, you know, we opened the show with a Manscaped ad to, <laughs> as an FU to Hims. The, and I say I, I rubbed the hair growth stuff on my chest so I have to use my Manscaped more. So it's a win for everybody. Good Lord. That the, is a visual I'm going to have to wash out of my, I, my brain. By the way, you can't wash that out. That's why I said it. It'll stay with you. So, Tomas, you were at Google's social monetization team, which is an oxymoron. So was that a week that you spent there? They never were serious about that. They would never been serious about that. Social was, was hard. But we, we had a great team, you know, and we signed up the MySpace deal. We had a bunch of machine learning engineers. They, they improved RPMs like 14X or something over the course of like three to six months. So it was, it was a good run. I mean, we were, we were there when uh, MySpace was big and then Facebook started to take meaningful share. And I was part of the team that negotiated, tried to negotiate to win the Facebook deal, but my, that Microsoft ultimately ended up winning. Oh my God. It was a, so that it was was a wild cool. time. 2005, yeah. four? Yeah, 2005, 2006. And so you went for it with that deal and it just didn't happen. Yeah. You know, I think um, Microsoft just outbid us at the end. And it's interesting because Alex knows this too, because he sold to Salesforce to me, not early, but you could ask VCs and they could say early. There's always a point where great companies get an offer. They get an ulcer? Offer. Well, yeah, they get ulcers. Oh, no. <laughs> they do get ulcers, but they also, the great ones get offers. <laughs> for those ulcers, they get an offer. That's a great title for a fucking VC blog. Ulcers. That'd be awesome. The, so, so all great companies get an offer at some point that's hard to turn down. They do. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, there's a the story of uh, Yahoo offering to buy Google for like a million bucks or two million bucks that they ended up turning down. And so what was this company that you did that just raised a huge round? I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, oh, Dremio customer? No, customer I know because we're in together. The one that just, it was quietly. Dremio? Yeah. So what does it do? Dremio is 
a way of analyzing data uh, for really large companies that is super cheap and super fast. So like so Tab- Tableau like, 2.0 or something? Yeah, it, it, you use Tableau. So imagine you're a data analyst at GM or some other large company and you've got lots of different databases uh, and they're all stored on S3 and they're in these huge files, right? They're like log files or uh, financial reports. And what you want to do is you want to crunch that data and put it in Tableau really simply and really fast. That's what Dremio does. Wow. And, and so that, when, when did you meet that team and do that deal? Because you were generally early, early. Yeah, so that was in, basically an incubation. So um, we were fortunate enough to invest in a company called Looker in 2012. Right. And they and, just sold or raised like at a $15 billion or something? Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're too kind, too generous. We sold it, <laughs> they sold the company to Google uh, last no. year for about 2.7. 2.7, okay, got it. Yeah. So I sat down with the CEO, Frank, at one point and asked him, hey, Frank, what's an adjacent non-competitive space that's going to be really big? And he described the space. And so we spent about a year looking for Dremio. And then one day, these two guys, Tomer and Jacques, uh, come into our offices. And literally within the first five minutes, I was like, that's the company. Wow. And so we had put together a bunch of investment materials. And within like four or five days, we had signed a term sheet at the co-lead of the Series A. And then they worked out of our office for the first I want to say nine months. Um, and, uh, and the company's going really fast. It grew more than three and a half X last year and uh, recruited a new CEO into the company. It's off, it's off to the races. So I'm uh, really excited about you're it. You're 100% enterprise or open source or remote software? It's all, we do all, all of those. Uh, we're about, as a firm, we're about three quarters enterprise, one quarter consumer. And then within the enterprise, we're half and half between software and infrastructure. And is it generally people like, so you, like I talked to Billy and he's like, Oh, I'll let the entrepreneurs tell me what's a good idea. And you kind of had your own theme with this one. Yeah. Sometimes it's thematic and we'll go and go do like a deep research project and a landscape and figure out which is the best company and understand, you know, like we did with dental, actually. Um, one of our partners, uh, Annie led an investment in a company called 10 because we were curious about what was going on in the consumer world and, she and um, our colleague made us spend about six months researching what was happening there and came up with this awesome investment called Tend. So we, we're, we can be thematic and then we're also opportunistic. I mean, it's not like we're going to identify all the great spaces. And generally when you guys come in, is it like, uh, what size check if you're doing seed or A? Somewhere between three and 12 is probably the sweet spot. Wow. So it's not small checks. So three on the low end. Well, we got to back up the cash cannon with something. We can't just be shooting. (laughs) (laughs) So the, and how do you guys, you meet once a week on partner calls, right? Twice a week. Monday and Thursdays. Got it. And, and how is it working for you guys? I mean, VCs are generally remote. Gary, Tom and I have been living in different cities. Are you guys, I mean, generally you guys are in person because San Francisco, but like, has it been a hard switch for you guys to do be at home and do this? I think it's been work-wise has been seamless. I think the great thing about Redpoint, and I'm sure you guys have it at social leverage is there's so much chemistry between the partners that not seeing each other in the office is something I miss. Yeah. We, Tom and I go so far back and, and Gary lives in another city. We love hanging out, but I also, I'm older. How old are you, Thomas? Are you 40 yet? No, not yet. Oh, wow. You're young. And Alex, are you 40 yet? You know better, Lindsay. Of course I am. <laughs> I know <laughs> the answer to that. <laughs> you look good. You're coloring your hair. Though, <laughs> he so. does look good. No gray. <laughs> no gray. 
He gives gray hair, like we say. He doesn't take gray hair. Yeah. The and then Hems was that the people, Alex, or was that I can't remember like why you did it, but you were so bullish early. And those are risk consumer. Like we got lucky a little bit with Manscaped because it didn't take any money, and and we probably showed it to you. And Hems, you guys spent money from day one. Like there was a bold because it's the entrepreneur is so bold, and he had success before. Or what is it? Yeah, I think for. You know, for us, it comes down to, to three things. It's, you know, the people, the product, and then the market opportunity. In this case, we had known. Tim, yeah, 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 tech, yeah. okay. And, and in this case, we had known Andrew and the team for a long time, and they're an incredible team, and they're exceptional at what they do. They had a strong vision for the product that they wanted to deliver at the time. You had sort of two large categories in, in the men's health uh, area coming off patent around hair and sexual wellness uh-huh. and those companies had no relationship to their users and so the cost insane. was incredibly high and so mm-hmm. if you think about two five billion dollar categories coming off patent you could deliver a medication via telemedicine which was also just starting to really get traction Genius. do it in a way that had a modern engaging brand and sort of destigmatize the experience you can sort of envision building a big company and so that's what really got us excited but beyond that Andrew and team had always, uh, you know, viewed this becoming healthcare 2.0 beyond, you know, some of the early medications that we launched on the men's side. We've also launched hers and we've expanded the product category, you know, catalog to 50 plus different medications, including, you know, mental wellness. And today in helping with, you know, some of the things that are happening with COVID to take stress off the, the healthcare system, we're also even using our telemedicine infrastructure to provide that. primary care. I saw so, that. You're pissing off a lot yeah. of people who are just going to do that as their own company. You guys have launched that as a feature. Because <laughs> I'm getting a lot of pitches and I'm like, ah, eh, it's on Hims's website. Oh, <laughs> pricks. Well, <laughs> I mean, can you do all that at once or is it just the brand and it's just enough people are coming to the site that you just move people through in different ways or, or how do you manage all that? I mean, it just comes to building for scale and the team have just been so good at executing and building up, you know, what I call sort of scaffolding for scale that enables them to launch new products pretty quickly and handle, you know, meaningful volume through the system. So, and so they, you did that as a seed or an A? We were the first outside financing. If you recall, it was incubated at Atomic. That's right. Those guys are smart. Yeah, they they are. So incubated there, and then you were the first outside capital. And then what was the last round? I mean, they're already killing it, but what was like the size of the last round? I can't talk about that. Okay. Lens so it's over a hundred. Meaningful. Yeah, it's over a hundred. <laughs> the, uh, the uh, I don't know. So the and that was like 2016. So it's only like three, four years old. Uh, well, I joined Redpoint in summer of 17, and Hims was our investment. I think in. Late 17. That's fast. So the cannon was flying. And <laughs> and then you guys did customer with a K, which were also with your old partners, right? So who's leading that? Is Tomas you that or Alex? We did it together. You did it together. They, so yeah, Alex is cool. I mean, Alex knows those guys better than anybody. Right. So but these are your old partners, uh, you and Gary's old partners. Yeah, we go back to uh, junior high school, eighth grade. So, <laughs> and they've kind of just also the intersection of like the Shopify e-commerce world meets you know have to have Amazon customer support out of the box. So, customer just fits that category perfectly. Yeah, I mean the, the way that I think about it is like, look, the, the that team has been in the support space for a long, long time. They've seen it evolve meaningfully. 
you know, over the, the decades that they've been in it. And the experience at Salesforce, because they were part of Assistly, really sort of got some great lessons around building a platform for extensibility and thinking about go-to-market in that way. And so they built customer as, you know, a modern version of Salesforce, Salesforce 2.0 as a platform first, and then a business process on top of that platform, the first one being customer support. And they've done really, really well. It's been It's been wonderful to see them sort of grow and evolve and be part of that journey. And have you guys, yeah, I mean, so excited. Have you guys written a post-COVID check yet? I mean, you're obviously open for business, but have you done something where you haven't met the founders or have changed, like, or is it just too soon still? Well, we did a deal last week, sort of a net new deal Uh uh, last week. Uh, But it is harder. I mean, so much of the business is building chemistry and believing in the founders, you know, early. So it, it, it does make it harder, but um, but we are absolutely open. Because I think $3 million, I don't know if I could write a th- even with other people's money, unless it was somebody I didn't like, uh, <laughs> write a $3 million check without meeting. Because Zoom is interesting good and good at so many levels, but you can't pick up the uh, nuances. But so did you have to change your due diligence at all or just more background and more reference and, and deeper on the background stuff? Well, I think in this case, a lot of the folks on our team actually had a long history with this founding team and so knew them, you know, prior to the COVID world. Now they came in and and gave the presentation to the entire partnership over Zoom. And many of us had met them for the first time, you know, over Zoom. And we did some of our diligence that way. But um, I think that helped the process. Got it. Canute, I was saying Alex takes rest. So I think about three weeks ago, Alex, you texted me and we... We text about watches and, and our families and say hello and yada yada. I always, t- Alex will text me and I don't have his name in my phone book and I always respond, who is this? It drives him nuts. The, uh, it doesn't, he just gets mad. And as long as I get him mad, that's a win. The uh, So I forget what I was just going to say. Oh, so I, Alex is a fucking lunatic, like risk taker. Like uh-huh. has good instincts. So he texted me like three weeks ago at the bottom. He goes, here's what do I do? What do you mean you do? Like, I didn't tell you to buy them when you bought them. Like you should be buying now. Like, and clean up the crap in your portfolio. So uh, that turned out to be a good bond. Like, I think Shopify was like 350 that day. But you know, I've owned that stock for a long time. I agree. I and I really said like, buy that. more or like, what are you going to yeah. worry about it now? It's already down 40%. It's a great company. <laughs> so today it's over 600, dude. Did you sell a little bit today at least, Alex? I didn't. I'm okay. in it for the long term. And what's your biggest personal position? Is it like a stock or is it just a private company? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's got to well, be a, it, it's got to be one of your private investments. So, were you yeah. nervous March fifteenth? I mean, you texted me. I know you weren't really nervous, but you're like everybody was like, "What's going on?" Were you, were you a little bit nervous? I would say. Uh, well, look. I mean. First of all, it's disorienting what's happening because I don't think anything's you know like this has ever happened before. I've operated through the dot-com crash and operated through the financial crisis. This is sort of different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I do whenever I think about you know making any investment decision is I try to get a lot of different data points from people that I have respect for. Correct. And you were you know no, it was I interesting. Uh, you were not listen. I'd love my friends, but the smart ones were texting me, not like hey Howard yelling at me. Like what I'd love getting texts. Because the data points of my smart friends texting me, even if they were scared, was a point of like, because I started doing the panic with friends on like the 10th. And then my phone started ringing on the 15th, meaning like, what do I do? And I'm like, dude, you're fucking a little late to panic. And therefore, (laughs) you better like what you own and, you know, start buying more. 
and you were one of those data points. So did you, so you just did that by calling your friends or some people you respected and just kind of just calming yourself down? Well, again, it wasn't about calming myself down. It was sort of getting added insight from, you know, various folks and to see how they were thinking about the market to calibrate how I was thinking about the market. And, you know, ultimately the thing that I did is just move out of some things that maybe my conviction changed Correct. from, you know, sort of long-term view given what's happening and moved it into other companies that I'm really excited about long-term. You know, if you wake up five years from today, is, is Amazon so going to be around in an important company? Yes, I think so. Is, is Shopify? I think so. Is Zoom? I think so. And, you Correct. know, the list goes on. And I've been using this rally to reposition out of stocks that I've loved forever, Disney, Nike, into stuff that I think has just more vertical, digital, narrow focus upside. So it's just, it's just gardening. And so for you, do you remember, Alex, the first time you ever panicked? It would probably have been 30 years ago, like, because you obviously took risk. Do you remember the first time you ever barfed up at the wrong time? Something? Uh, I don't know, Lindsay, that's hard to recall. I probably panic daily about something. My kid getting a bad grade. No, just know, like the I market get, right? or the something. company I'm invested in. <laughs> okay, so panic, it's a good answer. So you panic all the time. It creates, uh, that's Controlled what, panic. Control Micro panic is something panic. that creates uh, good energy. Whereas if you're just constantly bullish, panic can be really scary. Tomas, have you ever panicked in the market? Yeah, I panicked in 08. See, he remembers I, uh, Alex. Yeah, I panicked in 08. I panicked and I moved. I, I, I called my dad when the market fell in 2008. Mm-hmm. And and you, the, coincidentally, I'd happened. I sat next to somebody on a plane who was from the Federal Trade Commission or something like that. And they had told me that on the day the market fell, or a couple of days after, the government was hours away from shutting down ATMs to prevent runs on banks. Dude, if they shut down ATMs in 08, the world doesn't look the same. That was how close no. we were. And so I was like, boy, if it's, if it's that risky, and the market kept falling. And so I remember I was like, okay, I started researching. I was like, I can't keep my money in Citibank, like it's going to go away. (laughs) And so I started researching all these different banks and I came across Bank of New York Mellon, which is one of the two banks in the U.S. that's a custodial bank and it's Mm -hmm. charged by the treasury to deliver treasuries. Above the 250 uh, FDIC? Because people came up with... No, no, it's literally, like when the Fed wants to issue treasuries, Uh they call two banks. One of them is the Bank of New York Mellon. Got and it. so that's why they call it a custodial bank, which is a different kind of bank. Got and I called, I called back in New York Mellon. I went to the office that day and I moved all my money into that bank. It was such an overreaction. There was such an overreaction because <laughs> I had the same kind of calls from Alex. You know, funds, companies that just raised six, seven million dollars back then was a lot of money. I was like, oh my God, I'm only insured for 250. What do I do? Do I have to open 16 different bank accounts or 24 different bank accounts? And that people were doing that. So it wasn't just you. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VC money, like, you know, because they thought they were only protected 250. So, and did you sold stocks at the bottom, you're saying? Oh, yeah. I, I sold everything in my 401k. It's the dumbest thing. I was like, I got to hold on to cash. I don't want to see any of this money go. And were you at Redpoint then, or you were just still at Google? I had just joined Redpoint. I was like six weeks in, six to eight weeks in. And do you remember your first check at Redpoint? What company? Yeah, my first check at Redpoint was... Expensify. Oh, wow. And do you yeah. still use it? Is it? Who bought them? Or are they still just an independent company? They're still a private company. Doing great. Yeah. Um, we use it internally. It's a great product. And the and what do they do today? Is it just the same core, simple product? Yep. They've got a, a, an expense card, too. Um, but it's basically, you know, expense management, mobile first. 
we were looking into SMB, small to medium business software companies, and they were one of the first to have figured out mobile acquisition. And so, you know, this it was a Series A, it was a $4 million check, wow. uh, which they don't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> At that stage, yeah, but that was like the app was Apple Store was. I, I mean, that was a great app right in the early days, right? Like, that yeah, was a perfect exactly. Mobile phone app, like just take pictures yep. of your of your receipts. And you know who was the? So we had a board seat. The CEO had a board seat, and you know who had the other common seat? You'll never guess. Donald Trump. <laughs> Travis Kushner. Travis Kalanick. Oh wow, the swoosh, <laughs> red swoosh, and was and, yeah, exactly. And so, wow, I'm so impressed. He Did was you know Swoosh back then? Yeah. Well, I don't wow. know him. I don't know him. I remember that was a company because I had uh, yeah. a chance to invest in Uber Seed Round, and I said, eh, who will ever do that? <laughs> and I've been right. No one's using it in COVID. <laughs> so it just took 12 years and $60 billion, but I nailed it. The uh, So, no. <laughs> so what was it about? Um, so you've been doing a VC a long time. Yeah, 12 years. The industry's changed a ton. It's yeah. unbelievable. And what do you think the yeah. biggest change? Well, like, so going forward, what's the biggest change? I think it well, helps I think to have a brand, but. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I think there's, I think the venture industry is going through the same transformation the private equity industry went through in the 80s and the 90s. Okay. I think there's a lot of analogs. So if you read about like the history of the LBO, it started in the 70s by two KKR, two guys left Lehman. And they did that, made a ton of money, and then there was the um, savings and loan scandal and the uh -huh. crash. Sure, I was and in Phoenix. I was in Phoenix for that. What's, what's his name? Oh, you were? The, what's his name here? The, the guy. Keating? Keating, yeah. Charles oh, Keating. Awesome. He invented it. So, so, yeah, so you did it through the 90s. So they did it through the 90s, and yeah. debt became more expensive. And then they ended up keeping doing LBOs, but then they started branching out into multiple strategies and basically building fundraising entities that ran a whole bunch of different investment strategies. And now you look at like, BlackRock and KKR and um, all these guys, and they're basically huge asset managers. And if you look at what's happening in venture, it's very similar. Very so do similar you think thing. there's roll-ups? Because one thing I love about my job, the alpha from, I don't even know if it's real alpha. It's just, I call it capacity-constrained alpha, meaning they can't put their money to work where we, where we have an edge. So is it yeah. just going to be a roll-up, like a Blackstone of venture capital? Is that kind of what Andreessen's doing, or what do you think? Yeah, I think some of the bigger platform funds are just going to keep raising different vehicles, hiring new managers in order to run those strategies. Then you're always going to have the boutiques. I mean, if you at the in the PE industry, there was some consolidation. Um, a couple of them actually ended up going public in order to raise capital. I actually wrote a blog post about this because I was speculating whether or not you would see publicly traded venture capital funds. And then mm -hmm. a bunch of readers wrote in and said, actually, it turns out that there are four publicly traded venture funds already. So there's 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 uh... Blackstone, I guess you know, they're not one. They're not PE funds, venture venture funds. Who? So they they're all in Europe. Uh, three tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of them are in Europe, actually. Like oh, the DFJ is three vehicles publicly traded, and right. but the, the first publicly traded PE fund was actually on the Amsterdam exchange. Oh, I love Amsterdam. Okay, so that's interesting. I I'm with you on that. I'm super bullish on BC. I think I just think it's a combo of boutique capacity constrained managers and then brands. And so, so where does red point want to go next bigger or, or just stay where you're at? No, we love being where we are. We think uh, being a boutique and being crafts, crafts people uh, allows us to generate really great returns. And do you have partners in New York yet or no GPs? No. Okay. No. So it's all West coast. Yeah. And then you know, the, 
Go ahead. The, the, the other big trend, I just want to interject, the other big trend is there are fewer and fewer publicly traded companies, so the number of companies that VCs can invest in is just growing. Right. Right? Like, if you look at, there's half the number of publicly traded there, companies there were in like 2000, and companies are staying private longer. Sure. And that's another reason why you're going to see more uh, investment vehicles going after these private companies. So for, would, for you, would you have invested, or did you invest in that long-term, I didn't like the idea, the long-term capital exchange, whatever it's called, the... Um, Long-term stock exchange, yeah. Eric Reese's company. Yeah. yeah, we're not investors in it, but I think that, you know, I think the, the premise there is that uh, Wall Street is focused on short-term gain mm-hmm. and people should be focused on much longer term. I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that. I think, But the dynamic in the public market is also much more longer term than I think most people think because- I think so. I own stock. If you look at- yeah. If you look at the amount of passive investment, like eight, I was reading a stat, something like 80% of all dollars invested in in Vanguard. in Vanguard are in target 2040, you know, target date retirement funds. Yeah. 80% of all that capital. That's patient capital. I agree. I don't think they're patient for the right reasons. This is my beef with this is where I think we're getting, we're going to get, we have a crash ahead of us where people realize, wait a minute, well, I guess I should know what I'm investing in. Don't just pick it. Because there's no price discovery. Yeah. I'm all about price discovery still. Not not like small cat, like, you know, not doing the work. I'm not good enough. But just, I, I believe contextually price discovery matters, market cap. And like, there's so much data, like in a koi fin, like it's so powerful that you can at least apply some discovery to it. What do you think triggers that switch from passive to active again? I don't know. So many people are trying to call the timing. It's such a locomotive, like freight train yeah. of cash and passive. I'm not even going to, because to me, passive alex you can drop off at any time to me uh, <laughs> to me <laughs> is he still there is he still there so to me passive is active right the s&p is kind of a quant fund they're dropping crap but i think what's happened is five companies as you see everybody's passed around the same picture five companies are like 30 percent of the s&p that's just whack so i just don't think think it's breaking on its own i just think people are stupid like why not if you really want the s&p buy those five stocks and buy eight up-and-comers that you think you're over diversified with 500 stocks so i think at that level it's bad yeah so i don't i'm not saying active versus passive i'm like jesus christ they're first of all they're not passive because they're constantly adding and dropping whatever their formula is and secondly why do i need to own nokia or like some oil company i learned nokia was was actually predates finland Oh, Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I don't even know what that means. So yeah. Finland's how old? I don't, Nokia is actually the name of a town originally. In Finland? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, we've got a we've got a Norwegian in the room. Um, and so you shared a dashboard with Alex on Coifin because Alex got on Coifin later. What dashboard? Like a VC type dashboard or like an enterprise stock dashboard? Yeah, SaaS like next generation software companies. Ooh, can I get on that? Of course. Okay, great. So, uh, all right, great. And you- um, Alex can hook you up. Have you guys done any fintech? We've done a lot in insurance. Okay, insurance. Actually, a lot in insurance. Because it's a big industry or because you're interested in it or just because- There's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's been a historically super slow moving industry and there are all these changes happening either in like the way that uh, mobile phones can record the way that you drive. And so that should inform the risk or better scoring criteria or new customer acquisition mechanisms using the mobile phone like we were talking about before, or yeah. new, new government programs that uh, companies can take advantage of. 
Yeah, I was talking to Sean Park, who's also Anthemist, does a lot of insurance, and he was saying it's just all going to be built into the products, right? Like insurance isn't sexy in the like, consumer way. It's just going to be built in as a price into all of the products that you buy, supply chain, et cetera. Is that the way you think of it too? Yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, pay subscriptions for a car. Alex and I love cars, and so we talk about this a lot. So subscription, we, what does that mean? Like every month you could drop off and get something else and just pay a certain amount? Yeah, you know, the, the insurance and the warranty and the car pre- premium, they're all in just one payment. And then you that. can change. Who's doing that? that? Is anybody doing that? Volvo's doing it. Porsche's doing it. Oh, so BMW's I could go to Porsche it. and just say I want a different car every three months? Yeah. Huh. Okay, that's new. I didn't know that. Okay, good. The, yeah, uh, Lindsay, the other thing I'd add, I mean, those are sort of areas, but, you know, we're in Stripe. We. When did uh, you guys recently, do Stripe? $36 billion, congrats. And can I get a loan? Yeah. <laughs> so, so unfortunately it, pre, it predates me Lindsay, so, so what I, year I was that because I had Chris Sack on and he said of all the entrepreneurs he's ever backed and I think he's in Stripe he's, he said those two guys were the best we invested at the B fuck so was that under a billion yeah meaningfully under a billion were they, they were like 15 <laughs> how old were they <laughs> I think they were 21 or 22. Yeah. One went to Harvard and one went to MIT. <laughs> and I think they left one year early, if I remember. Would you back a guy from DeVry? Because my son has a pick. <laughs> so, so hang on. Hey, so, Lenton, here's, I've got another one for you. No, but you hang on. Stripe, I'm fascinated. I'm, congrats. Oh, okay. so, so, so do you get to carry on? More importantly, do you get carry on that because it predates you? Uh, I unfortunately do not. Okay, well, I'm a little bit, as, as someone who gets jealous of other people, I'm a little bit happier. You know. <laughs> well, I was just, I was just, I was just, I love you, but you fuck to, that. I, I was you preparing should. for you to ask for a loan. So, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm lying. Um, That's but unbelievable. You appreciate so, this one. We're, we're also in, investors in a company called North One, which are I out of Toronto. Well, do you know Toronto? Yeah. Is that, who's the yeah, Toronto's okay. It's okay? Yeah, Toronto's pretty great. COVID I've been there for a few years. So, hang but on. North where in Toronto? Where in Toronto are they? I don't know, oh, you know, so somewhere so you've downtown. done your due diligence. Yeah, they're somewhere in Canada. Do you know Jim? That's what people say. Hey, Howard, you're from Canada. You know Frank. <laughs> the, so they're somewhere in Toronto. North One, what do they do? Because Toronto is such a great city. It is such a great city. Uh, and you had a restaurant in, on Bathurst and King, a sushi restaurant. King and Bathurst, you're right. And yeah. called Blowfish. I got food yeah, poisoning, which... shut that place down. <laughs> Thanks, Lindsay. And it was you. It, was, was it wasn't that. me. It was a was Yelp review that. by somebody... Yeah. It might have been Ellen doing the review for me. Must have been a competitive restaurant. So I remember that restaurant. That was a good restaurant. So, yeah. so you, who brought the North One deal? Who brought it into the firm? You found it, or or is it? Oh, a, a whole bunch of us met with the with the team, and we're sort of really impressed by them, and then what they're trying to do, which is be a modern bank for SMBs, but not startups in particular, more traditional small businesses. That's a crap. So there's a lot of people. So does that consider neobank? I guess you could, could categorize it that way, yeah. Got it. That's cool. Because uh, I know only know Matt. Do you guys know Matt Golden in Toronto? I do. Yeah, Matt's great. He's great. Yeah, he is great. So, all right. So you've done Toronto. So Stripe under a billion, and it's thirty-six billion. They just did some. Have you guys sold a little along the way, or no? Is there a rule that, like at Red Point, like we've sold stuff along the way? Do you guys just, or you can't say that? Oh look, they uh, went I, quiet. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't believe we sold. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's yeah. unbelievable. Okay, so Stripe. Yeah. And so what's the, I mean, I mean that just, that's just an incredible company. But they're not really open source, are they, Tom? Like, is there a potential for like an open source Stripe, like a true open source, or it's impossible? 
I don't think it matters in that category. Got it. Just because you got to have the rails and you got to have the trust and you got to have. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, open source is useful when the, the engineer really wants to understand what's going on under the hood. And in this case, you know, payment is so complex, so complicated that I think people just trust it at this point. Yeah, and it was developer first. I mean, there were lots of developer first companies. Yeah, like Cloud, yeah. Starkly, yeah that, that don't necessarily need to be open source. So, um, and, how, and I bet you they're going to breed like a thousand entrepreneurs at a Stripe. It's a great culture. It's yeah. a really fantastic entrepreneurial culture. And so, Alex, what are you excited about in the future? Like, what's, like I agree with your idea of pruning your portfolio because the next five years is what matters. You can't look at what you paid. You got to look at like positioning your portfolio for the next five, 10 years. So what has changed for you or, or the same? Like, what are you excited about? Yeah, I mean, I think generally as a team, we're really excited about open source and the opportunities that open source is creating to disrupt incumbents and large categories where the engineers are either the decision makers or are sort of the stewards of the technology. So I think that's one of the largest investment categories for us out of the current fund. SaaS continues to still be really interesting. Tomash, I think maybe wrote this blog post, but you know, 1% of Salesforce is still a billion dollar company. So we think that there are great opportunities in that area. I've become passionate about healthcare, that's a great, as you know. That's a great context. Wow. 1% is a billion. Okay. Yeah. I'm passionate about healthcare. As you know, I think our healthcare system is still fundamentally broken and there's lots of opportunities to sort of democratize access and reduce costs and improve the experience for doctors and patients. So we'll continue to invest in that, uh, in those areas. But, you know, I'm also, you know, like you said, Vili is looking for amazing founders who have a opinionated view of what the world will look like. And I'm looking for those people to, you know, educate me on what's new and exciting. And hopefully I can be helpful and partner with them on that journey. And Tomas, you, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I trust that you're going to find deals, but like in a, in a COVID world where everybody's not running around. So Tomas, at least you have the, the blog. What got you writing? I started writing when, so when I joined that point, I was mentored by three of the general partners uh-huh. and I went to different board meetings and the whole idea was, to see different styles of board member because, you know, as you know, Howard, there are lots of different styles of board members. Uh-huh. And what I found was we were answering the same questions pretty consistently across board meetings. And I was like, I, I was stunned that like some of these benchmarks in particular, like what's the AR per employee or what should quotas be, that kind of stuff. None of it was public. And um, so I just started asking people questions and writing about it. And then I was also doing like a weekly news summary internally and then I asked if I could publish that externally. And that got me like my first 10 readers. <laughs> right. Well, you don't really care. I don't check my stats. Do you check? I'm, I don't check any stats, whether I'm working out or writing. Do you check stats? Do you care? I did. I did for a long time. Well, of course and then you it was did. Because, but that's so much bad signal. It's like you either quit blogging because of that or you just say, fuck it. I write for myself. So when did you just say, yeah. fuck it? Uh, about two years ago. Oh, 10 years? You're fucking looking at your numbers? Yeah. Do you have hair? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> oh, man, you're a little vain. So uh, you can't grow if you're Tomash looking at your the, numbers. Tomash has, the, Tomash has the best hair in venture. I saw. I'm a little pissed. I was kind of hoping it. Well, because he rubs hymns on it. <laughs> you, can't have like ball, you can't have five <laughs> LPs that are bald and invested in hymns. Not a good thing. The um, so, Tom, so when did you finally settle into the short, simple, make you think style? I did analysis, actually. Mm -hmm. I I looked at the bounce rate as a function of word count. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the time on site and I realized realized that um, 
you know, I tried different things. Like I tried putting headers within, within blog posts, like subheaders, like H2s and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. People bounce like yeah, super crap. fast. Mm-hmm. I started putting images in the blog post. People didn't yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and so I realized like there's a blog post, which is um, something like uh, this message will self-destruct in 48 seconds. <laughs> That's good. And the idea is I have 48 seconds with a reader. And then I started reading all these books about how journalists write. Like there's this awesome one by the former editor of the New York Times. Um, and, you know, pyramid structure, that kind of stuff. And so I just settled on 500 words or less. It's the best thing, right, for your business? It's great. It's great. I think the um, I really like doing it because it um, sort of establishes rapport before entrepreneurs walk in the door. Mm-hmm. So they feel a bit more comfortable. I really like that. It's also a wonderful way of giving back to the community. Yep. That's given me so much. Like and for me, I love getting it. Oh, Tomas got something to say. Now, do you do have it based on timing or is it just when you feel like it? I can't remember it because I don't, I'm on email with you. I don't like mine every morning, same time. What are you, what are you once a week, twice a week? It used to be every day and now it's three times a week. Got it. And is that the formula that works the best for readers? Yeah, I was at, I was five days a week for a while. And then I had a bunch of people write in saying, I can't even keep up. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. You can keep up. It's not worth the effort. I can't keep up. It's not worth the effort. Okay, that's that's fair. I get that sometimes, and I go, "Well, unsubscribe, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> that's why they have an unsubscribe button. So, well, I didn't want that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many kids do you have, Tomas? Five kids. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Well, my condolences. That's a lot of work. So you have five at my, home, and and they're all at home schooling. Yeah, I mean they're all young. They, they span from a seven to one. Well, so you don't want this call to end. No, please. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go. I got no kids at home. What am I doing? talking to you schmoes. The, uh, so what is it like with five? I haven't had a five kidder on. Holy smoke. It, it's a circus in every sense of the word. It's, uh, it's magical. I got every, everywhere we go. The, so the thing that I learned when we had twins the last go around. Oh, yeah, and, twins. Uh, My wife's a twin. Two, uh, boys or girls oh, or awesome. identicals or what? One boy, one girl. And then I'm a twin. So I'm living it as a parent and Never I've lived seen it as that. a child. Is that, yeah. is that happen? That's not a genetic, is that a genetic thing? I don't think it's a genetic thing. So it's just a fluke. Okay. Got it. Mm. Wow. So you're a twin. My wife's a twin. And then you had twins. And then we had twins. And the, the craziest thing about having five kids is now we cannot reserve a table on open table without calling the restaurant to warn them we're coming first. What, they can't add that feature for the Tungas feature? <laughs> I think it exists in Utah where they have bigger families. <laughs> oh, but in California... There's two families in Utah. No one has open table. <laughs> the uh, show seven. Whew. Well, dude, you got a lot of work. So when will you... Oh. When do you ever go out? So that's why you're a good investor. You just read and just hide. hide. So what's the, in the corner. What's the age groups of the five? Uh, seven, five, three, and then twins are one. Twins are one. Oh my God. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I just think um, the Red Point's just doing a lot of interesting things. And then, so you're open for business, writing checks now. And then, Alex, you are full time Sa- San Fran now, right? Or are you doing San yes, Diego sir. too? Well, no, I mean, in terms of where I live, it's full-time San Fran and spend a little bit of time in San Diego. You know that I met my wife there and spent a decade there. But in terms of investing all over, I'm on a board in Austin, New York, Seattle, San Francisco. I'm looking for a great company in San Diego, Lindsay. I know it's hard. The weather is a beast of a a company killer. 
I, I'm convinced. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously it's, it's not true because of biotech, but I just found that San Diego is hard when the weather's that good all the time. It's a big competitor to like work. You may be right, I, but you, you may you be crazy to quote Billy Joel. Yeah, I may be crazy. I always thought like me, um, sorry, uh, where, uh, where was I by the airport there? It's my, I think it could be the next Brooklyn, um, San Diego, right by the, I'm, I'm having a senior moment where I was working for six years. But anyways, I, I'm super bullish on, no, the little, the, the uh, hip, the Italian district, by, uh, downtown San Diego. Little Italy. Little Italy is like a monster potential. I just don't know why Google and Facebook have an open offices there as like, uh, as like, um, a benefit to their employees that like, okay, I'm ready to leave Google. Well, here, we have an office in Little Italy and you can code and surf. Like That sounds good. Why haven't they done that? Guess what? Post-COVID, people will be able to work anywhere they want. Yeah. We're moving to a remote world. So the remover into remote worlds, so how do you think both, just quickly before I go, travel, what, like, are, how fast are you excited to get back on the road or has it really changed the way you do business? I think there'll be, you know, sort of a bunch of artifacts from COVID. And I think one of those is that business travel will be reduced. I think people are finding that they could be just as productive or, you know, likely more productive in meetings and engaging remotely than having to get on a plane and in a cab and spending a night in a hotel room. So I think there'll be headwinds for business travel. I think there'll be tailwinds for uh, remote work environments. I think increasingly companies will have to transition to, you know, a digital modern organization, even laggard industries because of what's happened. So I think those are some good things. I think uh, telemedicine will get tailwinds. Um, so, and, yeah, and I don't know. I, I don't want to get on a plane anytime soon, I guess. Me too, right? And you've yeah. earned your ability to Zoom, meaning like it, we, it used to be you're phoning in and if you Zoom, you're a little bit of guilt. Now it's like, hey, man, like, listen, it's not risking my life anymore. I'm, I'm engaged. I, we all use Zoom for two months. This is how we're working. It's kind of great for me. Tomasa, you feel the same way or is it like you're, you, the travel will come right back? No, I agree with that, Alex, 100%. I, you know, I wonder if like the carbon dioxide levels will actually decrease. I mean, there's obviously a decrease now, but whether we'll actually see a, a meaningful decrease in the ongoing level of CO2. Phoenix has been phenomenal. It's clear as a bell, dry as hell, no smog. It's amazing. It's amazing. Wouldn't that yeah. be an incredible byproduct? Of oh, this? dude, I just tell you, because like Phoenix is kind of open, guys. And so I've actually golf course, public courses are open a little bit. And Max and I wow. go out and play. And it's like driving. It's like supernatural. It's like I'm driving on these modern highways that are empty. Like it doesn't feel modern when the world is working. But it feels great when you can just go uptown, downtown in like three minutes. And, and you're the only person. And it's like 80 degrees and sunny. It's kind of surreal. I just wonder if it can stay that way. So that'll be the big push. Well, I appreciate you gentlemen taking the time for Panic with Friends. I know we covered a lot of ground. It's hard to do with three people. So I appreciate the time, and I'm excited for you guys at Red Point, and I'm glad you guys are uh, surviving COVID. Thanks, Lindsay. You too. Stay safe. Thomas, yeah, great to meet you. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Great you to meet too. you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye. The, uh, it's hard when there's three and like, you know, they kind of like, we'll have a million questions. I, mean, you, I think the you lesson is you can only do. talking, but uh, it's maybe hard for the listeners uh, to, to identify who it is that's actually talking. At the no, same, I didn't mean yeah. that. It's just they both deserve their own interview. It's oh, hard. yeah. Well, that I understand. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. like, they both have their viewpoint. So lesson learned. But man, I just was glad to get Tomas. Alex is just like, I've been doing deals with forever. And then Tomas has just, just done some monster deals. 
And uh, it's just a big world out there, right? Like these unfamous people doing incredible things. I know. All right, everybody. Uh, so, yes, that was uh, Alex Bard and Tom Tangas at uh, Red Point. And we will uh, be back with another Panic with Friends soon.